Hello and welcome to Stuff You Should Know About Oil and Gas Production. We are a podcast brought to you by Kimray. You can visit us at kimray.com to see our resources, tips, tricks, videos, and other content. My name is Curtis. I'm here with product and applications trainer Kyle Andrews again. And special episode because Denny Vanderberg, our multimedia producer, is on with us. Uh, Kyle, I've already said hi to you today um, on a podcast. Denny, how's it going? Right. Good to be here. You've been on a Glad hand. to be on this side. Yeah, we're, we're flipping the script a little bit, so we don't really care what Kyle has to say in this episode. Yeah, I'm going to buy most of this episode. Yeah, yeah. although I'm still watching all the audio levels for everyone Yeah, you're multi. at the same time, multi. so that's okay. Marketing producer. Yeah, marketing producer. Multitasking. <laughs> uh, I think you got both of our can. titles. Incorrect. Just slightly. I don't really care. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> really close. Big wigs. Sorry. Big dogs. <laughs> All right, so I did some research probably a few years back into some of the history of oil and gas. I just got fascinated with even before drilling rigs and modern, um, you know, setups. Put together this blog that I was like, oh, this is great, you know, and, and it didn't do really super well because it's not the typical technical information that we share. It doesn't, you know, help guys do their jobs. But I think it's fascinating history. And so, um, sure enough, we brought it back up and we're like, hey, can we make a video out of this? It's really fun, interesting information. And we, sh- we shot one with Jordan last month. And you knowledge checked my, my information quite a bit. And we're like, well, this is not quite right. And this is, I have questions about. And this is a massive rabbit hole that I found all this other information about. So, uh, what we wanted to do so much so that we couldn't fit it all into the, um, into the video that we released, a short history of oil. And so we wanted to just, as we talked further about it, we were just like, dude, this is really fascinating stuff. So let's, why don't we make a companion, uh, a companion podcast and have this conversation in front of microphones for anybody who's interested. So yeah, it kind of covers some wide spectrum of things. I'm not quite sure who it's for, but I, I think it's for the history buff and the oil worker and you can impress uh, your friends with some random knowledge mm-hmm. round out your your uh, knowledge and, and you'll be a renaissance man or woman uh, i think i'll just go kind of piece by piece through these parts of the scripts uh, the script and you can just share like what what stood out what was fascinating what you weren't able to get into the video what you had questions about okay so yeah, yeah we'll try it out. Okay. yeah let's do it all right so we start out with uh some of this history about what people used to do uh, with animals in order to, so it was dark and they were trying to find things to create light after dark, um, probably especially in the winter whenever it gets dark super early. And so we ran into these stories of some uh, Native Americans in the Northwest using fish, drying out salmon and lighting it on fire basically, and mm-hmm. then of in Scotland and I'm assuming other places, they dried out these birds called petrels and put wicks down their throat <laughs> And use those as candles. So, Which, of course, made a great line for Jordan to try and read as he's reading this all on teleprompter saying, and then shoved wicks down their throat yeah. and lit them on fire. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> Took him a few takes to get through on saying that. But, of course, something like that, yeah, needs a little bit more research into what do you mean they stuck wicks down this bird's throat and lit them on fire? And it's not something that you get too many results from <laughs> by looking it up. So, so the bird's called petrel, 
And so one of the questions I had was, petroleum? Is, is that it related, related to petroleum? Yeah, it sounds like it would be something from petroleum. It is not. Uh, it, it comes from a couple of different origins. So as with any history stories, you can kind of get different perspectives depending on who, you're, who you find this information from. But they do, this, this bird, the storm petrel, walks on water in this kind of interesting way, and it can actually just kind of take a couple steps on water. And so this petrel name through history kind of came from the name of Peter, from the story in the Bible of him walking on water. Oh, interesting. And so that is one of the one of the origin names of where it comes from. Um, but some of the sailors during the time would call it several other names, including a uh, including Mother Carey's chicken. Uh, so Mother Carey would kind of translate as a slang word for the Virgin Mary. And they were, I don't know why they called them chickens instead of birds, but um, Mother Carey's chickens would basically be an omen that there would be a storm coming and that they should take precautions and do what they needed to do to, to prepare for this oncoming storm. And so these storm petrels would be an omen of something bad coming. And so some of the sailors would see it as a bad omen and some of them would see it as a, as a blessing from the Virgin Mary as a warning. What, what, kind of, uh, what kind of omen would it be to get one of these and light it on fire? Shove a wick down. Well, yeah. And then, so yeah. So at some point, yeah, someone decided that they were oily enough so they could light them on fire. <laughs> Other question, what makes for an oily bird? So they have a lot of the oils in their stomachs. Um, I don't know what kind of oil that is. They're not long lasting. I did find one person on YouTube who did some different experiments. He did not have a storm petrel to light on fire, but he did use different oils from birds and fish and put them in different dishes and, and lit them. So I guess that's why experiment. the wick had to be down their throat to yeah, get to, get to, get to the oil. Stomach oils, yeah. So it's not that the bird was like oily on the outside, like the feathers or something like that. Like you had to get into the innards and then just the creativity <laughs> and the amount of like experimentation to like right i mean you have a need right and like you'll do whatever you can to find a, a fix it's you know it's dark and i want to read yeah, <laughs> yeah. i do whatever yeah. it takes well i did try and find out how long did a petrol candle last yeah um so i don't really know how long they would really burn for but i can't imagine it would be very good or that it would smell very good and also like how long, what happened when it got down to the beak? Like, was that the candles over? Or does it just keep burning? I, I don't know. Cool. We have lots more information about candles that, <laughs> okay. uh, that I found that was interesting as well. Yeah, let's follow the next uh, the next step then. So you got well, because yeah, so this candles was kind of the next deal, right? You're kind like, of yeah. Because wait, this what are candles made of? Basically, made me think like, why are we lighting birds and fish? Like, didn't we have candles by this point? Uh, Roughly years. So so candles had been around for a very long time. So even thinking back to the 12th century, um, they had candles. And so in this particular time period that we're talking about, like more like the 1700s, there were certainly candles, but they were still limited as to who could, who could acquire them. They were expensive and they were made of different materials depending on which ones you were getting. Um, but if you were someone like a clergy or a, uh, a noble who knew how to read at night. Like you said, if you were to read at night, like yeah. chances are if you read, then you were a clergy or a noble anyway. Pretty well. And then yeah. you could probably afford a candle to, mm. to read at night. Um, but I was, uh, I was initially thinking, yeah, how come we're not just talking about using candles? So if you think of like the beeswax candles 
that that we would normally think of as like a wax with the wick in it. Mm-hmm. Beekeeping was not a thing pre seventeen hundreds, mm. and so the people, the the bee masters of the time, were basically limited to the clergy that in those monasteries would start keeping bees as part of the church because the church was the one who was using the most candles. candles. Ah. Uh, all those monks copying the they scriptures. They could afford it, but then also there were certain things about always keeping lights for the church. And so they would be the ones who would have you know, hundreds of candles that always needed to be on in the, in the cathedrals. And so they would start beekeeping. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't how we would think of it as today. They would try and cultivate the trees to accommodate bees. Okay. Um, and then if the colony would go to it, they would try and ca- take care of it. Uh, but it's, uh, along with several other factors, a lot of the deforestation in Europe during this time led to fewer and fewer bees even available. Uh-huh. And soon we were importing beeswax from Russia and uh, I can't remember where else, maybe like Scandinavia or something uh-huh. like that. Some some of the north countries up there that still had more of the trees. And so even to get the beeswax was becoming even more expensive. And so what was already this luxury commodity for people uh, became something that could have cost, well, the the beeswax ones really were really just for nobles. I mean, it was just too expensive. It wasn't something that that anyone else could even get. So as a a common man, learn to read, there's like historical things are coming back, like the Reformation, a lot of people learn to read the scriptures and all those kind of things like, but, but bees are way too expensive. If I want to read at night, I'm just going to find one of these stupid little birds and <laughs> shove a wick down his throat. Well, the other alternative was the, the candles that were made of tallow. So instead of beeswax, you could have a tallow candle. What are you it saying? Cheaper tallow, T-A-L-L-O-W, tallow. So it's different animal fats. Ah. So they would burn very poorly and they smelled badly. Apparently it was just, it was a poorly made candle, but it was from a cheaper material of these tallows that you could make. Huh. And so it would, it would smell, it would be smoky, and it was still a very expensive piece. Um, even 1791, there's a record from a, from a news document talking about that it's, it would cost about two shillings and a sixpence, which I think is a fun way to measure <laughs> money. But two shillings and a sixpence is about 68 cents for what you would talk about today, it's kind of hard to make all those conversions and comparisons just because of the time period and the money, which may not sound like a lot, but also during this time, your average income is about a dollar a day. So is a huge amount of a whole day's wages, which you're probably not just working eight hour casual days. If you're doing, you know, <laughs> Down the during lines. this time, you're probably working pretty hard yeah. uh, to sort of spend it all on a candle to light for a few hours. How did they relight or how did they initially light candles? Where's the fire source coming from to light these candles? I didn't do any match you history. Didn't for that one. Maybe matches. It's a whole separate episode. Yeah. I feel like matches so. would have been much later. I th- from my understanding is that a lot of the, uh, the hearth would pretty much always be running in the home. Yeah. Um, it's not going to give you enough light to really see anything, but it'll give you a little bit of warmth and then it's just always on. So there's probably always a source of a fire flame, a little yeah. bit in any given house that you could, you could get some of the stories that we're talking about as far as offering light at night. So people could go outside. 
none of this is going to give people light to, to go outside at night. Like all of this is just, it's too small. So what did people turn to when, when these things, these alternatives that were coming out because bees were in short supply, what did people start going to? So that the candles themselves actually remained almost the same until about the 19th century. And then we have this German chemist, Karl von Riechenbach, who discovered a way to turn petroleum paraffin wax into candles, which is actually where we have most of our candle production today is from the paraffin wax. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always just beeswax. I think those are a lot more of the artisan candles <laughs> that you pay $55 for your <laughs> little jar. Yeah. So transitioning then, as Kyle w- was alluding to, like what's the next phase after kind of the medieval times, like even dark ages, right? Somewhat in reference to it's dark outside a lot everywhere. Like, you know, we don't experience that a lot in modern day uh, America, but it was dark outside, danger, kids don't go outside at night, those kind of things, to somewhat more candles, somewhat more light. Mm-hmm. And then uh, around 1700-ish, we, uh, we see the, the rise of the whaling industry. Mm-hmm. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so the whaling industry was huge for, for whale oil as far as bringing in a new source of, of burning oil, something that could be burned for light. Um, and it was, it was a huge operation. Um, as we talk about in the script, particularly as far as how many ships. One of the stats from the video is in 1846, it was the fifth largest industry in the U.S. 735 ships in the U.S. were in whaling. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was an ad or a promotional piece, something that was hyping up um, using all the whale as far as, you know, we're, we're harvesting these whales and we're getting lamp oil and we're getting, you know, all these different lubricants. Uh, that you can use and it's being marketed as bicycle oil and sewing oil and and then the the bones the bones are used in like the structure pieces of the big dresses Mm. during this time piece it's made of whalebone and you could fashion them into all sorts of things and it it was just a neat i assume they ate them a nice whale sandwich i don't know Hmm. i don't think come across the blubber i don't think would be I don't think that the blubber would have been it. I think that was what was boiled down for yeah. for other pieces. I wonder, but I imagine there's some meat in that. It might, maybe it's, it's just a, a really fatty fish. I don't know. I don't know. A lot of the oil from the sperm whale was in the cranial cavity. They would have to drill into the into this whole section of the over the whale that would have this oil in it. <laughs> I love how much knowledge about whales you've got now. <laughs> That's crazy. That I mean, like whales are huge. Like, I wonder how much oil, how many candles, or how much, you know, light you could get out of a single well, a whale. I feel like I probably came across some of those statistics. It might have been toward the end of my rabbit trail Mm -hmm. of finding out how interesting whaling was and then stopping myself by saying this isn't, this is just totally (laughs) a side course. It's not going to make it in the video. That's right. It's not going to be anywhere in the video. I need to stop and get back to work. All right. So put a pin in that one then. So around uh, late, what, mid-1800s, 1846, uh, kerosene's invented? So there is the first form of kerosene invented. We can call it that. Really, it's credited for Abraham... Gessner, yeah. Um, 
I'm sure that there was a lot of science going on across the globe as far as finding this other resource of of light fuel as it needs it's needed across the whole world and we were probably not the only ones who decided to, <laughs> to research it abraham gesner is very well credited as as being the geologist that came up with this efficient way of creating kerosene so kerosene was a, a phrase that he coined um kind of like if you say kleenex instead of tissue yeah so how did he make kerosene? It was a, a distillation process um, using mostly coal. And so they would call it um, coal oil and sometimes. And so it was different than whale oil. But it, was, it was cheaper and cleaner and smelled better than the whale oil. Um, and so it wasn't that we were running out of whales. We needed an efficient way of doing this. We need a better way. Technology evolves. Yeah. Things change and we just look for better ways of doing things. Um, one of the things that I read in, along the way of kind of describing the same way of like, we didn't, we didn't run out of horses. We just invented the motor car and it was better. Yeah. And so we just moved on with technology. You're telling me I can distill it out of a rock versus trying to chase a big whale and cut it, <laughs> cut it up. Yeah. There, I think I'd rather there's, do the distillation. there's still probably some magic in the geology process of I'm sure it's harder than that, but bitumen yeah. and shale oil and bitumen. I've always heard it pronounced bitumen. Bitumen. Oh. I don't know if that's if there's any uh, linguistic experts listening <laughs> out there. You can tell us. So is this kind of when outdoor lamps and those kind of things start springing yes. up? Yeah, it was more so around this time because there was this cleaner way of of to produce light. Yeah, so it was around 1850. Gesner created the Kerosene Gasoline Company, and that was when the, the lighting began to be installed around the streets. So this new, this new kerosene, this new lighting fuel, was only about 10 to 25 cents a gallon compared to $1.50 for the whale oil. Oh, wow. So significantly cheaper and much more readily available. I would imagine there's probably a lot of uh, infrastructure that has to be in place for whaling to happen. Mm -hmm. Like so many people have to mm -hmm. man the ship, mm -hmm. all these things, you got to pay them all, right? Mm -hmm. The rocks aren't running away from you. So That's you can more <laughs> easily gather them, I'm imagining. They're still, yeah. Yep. Well, he did eventually sell this company. So this company, I was trying to find any more information about it. I would have, I was actually even just originally looking for like a logo or something to show in the video. Um, I, and it really wasn't around for that long. It was acquired by Charles Pratt, who folded it into his oil company, and eventually they joined, he joined Rockefeller, and it all became part of Standard Oil Company, um, as did anything oil-related eventually. Yeah. Kind of yeah. rolled into Rockefeller Standard Oil. So uh, Pennsylvania. Now some names that people in oil and gas may be more familiar with. Yeah, so starting back in 1858... Um, so George Bissell actually deserves a lot more of this credit. So Edwin Drake um, does get a lot of credit for this. He really did bring in a lot of the beginnings of the oil industry, the drilling part of it. And he's rightfully credited for doing so, but he was really just brought along for this. Um, George Bissell had, just, had found that there was this, this oil coming up through the ground in Pennsylvania. And he was involved with processing it and distilling it and finding out that this could become a source of, of lighting fuel, that this could be maybe the next 
revolution of lighting fuel. And so he, he gets a lot of credit for, for discovering that this was another option. So he and had, he had an, another business partner, then they went in and they were basically setting up this oil company before the drilling was even happening. Um, Edwin Drake was brought into it in 1859, basically as a project manager. He, he assembled the crew he got together who was going to do it, how they were going to do it, and where they were going to do it. So in modern terms, you might say Bissell was more the engineer and Drake was more the... I mean, Bissell was a scientist. He knew what he was doing yeah. as far as how to distill and everything, but he needed someone to figure out exactly where to drill the and how to do it yeah. and just take care of all that side of it. And so Drake was a good candidate um, for a couple of reasons. As a retired railroad conductor, he had a railway pass, which meant he could ride the rails for free mm. anytime. Mm. So it helped him to get around the country and Pennsylvania particularly. Um, and I think that just helped Bissell to say, yeah, you can, you know, you can get around. Now there weren't very many railroads in this area at the time, but he could still get around easily. He also happened to be staying at this hotel where uh, Bissell and his business partner were at the time. And I guess that connection might have been at the right time, right place kind of thing. So um, while he was a good candidate for the for the job, I think it was it seems like he kind of had a right place, right time. And he was in the pass. room where it happened. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they were they just they were going to drill for oil the way that someone would drill for water because they saw this as an opportunity. Um, and so Drake was in charge of finding where to drill. And so he looked around and, and landed in Titusville, Pennsylvania. Well, it's where the beginning of the oil drilling industry really starts. Bissell found that this was a good source of lighting fuel. It was Samuel Cure, also in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, mm. who came up with this way of distilling crude oil into kerosene, different than the kerosene that we were talking about earlier that mm. was from coal oil. This is from crude oil being distilled, still being called kerosene, I'm sure it's a different process, but again, it's cleaner and more efficient. And so this is the source that they they saw and that they wanted to profit from and bring out of the ground to, to make it as a new fuel. So they were after this more efficient way to make kerosene initially. As best as I can understand, yeah. yeah, this was, and I'm sure that they saw other properties in it. Um, oil had been around for thousands of years, but it was always the one, it was always oil that had seeped out of the ground. And so it was used for different properties. It was used for different lubrications for a long time, but it was never drilled for drilled for. It was never brought up out of the ground intentionally. It was just from oil seepage. So that was a little bit of how he knew kind of where to start by looking for this oil seepage, but he wasn't sure how far down he was going to have to go or how much drilling they'd really have to do. But Edwin Drake, was the man for the job. And so he was the scout to go figure this all out. Uh, so he was hired by the Seneca Oil Company. That was Bissell's company that he had set up. And that was the first time that oil was going to be drilled instead of just simply discovered on the surface. All right, so you wanna talk about the barrels next or Uncle Billy or what do you wanna talk about? <laughs> <laughs> so, many, so many little side stories here. Uncle Billy, yeah. Um, his driller, Drake's driller, that he hired. He hired William Uncle Billy Smith. He was a saltwater well driller. And so he brought him in and they used saltwater drilling techniques to try to drill 
So they had done it for a couple of weeks and they weren't having as much success because they were on this water table. And so every time that they're drilling, the hole kept collapsing in on itself, filling in with water, and they just they couldn't quite get down far enough for what they needed. And so Edwin Drake actually came up with what is now known as the drive pipe, where they were going to put this pipe in the ground first and then drill in the pipe so that it would stop backfilling into this. Uh, so he actually invented this process 150 years ago that's still used, but he never trademarked it. He never patented it, I mean. Missed, opp missed opportunity He never made any sure. money on this piece of technology that's still used to this day. He was paid $1,000 a year to decide where to drill on Seneca's land. And he came up with this technology and was never paid for it. And it's, he never saw any money. He never made any oil money. Wow. He eventually died completely broke. Never had any. Did he really? I money. didn't know that. Very sad. <laughs> He's very famous posthumously, though, right? Like, yes. Yeah. 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 They only, were only able to make it about 18 feet before it kept collapsing in. Mm. And they needed to get down about 69 feet for his first hit into oil, Reservoir. which is not very far. Oh. He was planning on going at least 1,000. Wow. But once they struck, they didn't have any place to put it. As you were saying about the so barrels. Wash bin, what I mean, they were just filling finding up, everything, right? Yeah, filling this up is like the movie all the, idea, like, the families' bins, we got a barrels, gusher. wash bins, anything that they could find. So, once they hit the oil, it was just it was coming out of the ground and it wouldn't stop. So, they were just trying to collect it. So, they did they have could. they had machinery, they had ways that they could turn off the pump. Um, the pumps that were in there were steamboat pumps that he had purchased that he had shipped down huh. the road and all of his equipment and the gears and shafts. There's a whole bunch of really interesting pieces they have all recreated in the Drake Well Museum. And all these pieces together, they said, cost him about $500 in that time, which would be about $20,000 today. Piece together all this, all this equipment to actually start pumping it out of the ground. So they, there was, the only barrels in town, you said, were from a brewery they had to go... Mm -hmm. Bottles, yeah. barrels. Yep. So he went into town, oh, went to the breweries, went to all the whiskeys and the beer breweries and got all the barrels they could, which were not any standard size. There was no barrel industry at this time that was really making anything that was that standard. I mean, mm -hmm. there must have been something for the breweries, yeah. but went in and bought all of the, all the barrels that he could. Eventually, when the barrel industry did start, that's what, where we got our 42-gallon barrels from even though now it's in a 55 gallon drum there's 42 gallons of oil in it <laughs> um but they started filling up all the barrels with the pennsylvania crude light sweet oil as they said it they said that they would uh they would use it for about anything they said it could cure anything it wasn't even just lighter fluid at the time it was now i'm seeing baldness in here is that baldness, is that true that headaches hangovers Wow. They they claimed a teaspoon of it would make you regular. Everything could be fixed. <laughs> um, that one I might believe. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure how long they ate the stuff, but apparently it was light and sweet. Very little sulfur content. We don't know how many people died and drinking this stuff. It, yeah. It seemed to seemed to cure everything. So oh, they man. just ran with it. Most importantly it was a source of fuel. But the whole Drake Museum that's in Titusville. I really want to go there now. Yeah. I had heard of it before. <laughs> I had seen some pictures. It didn't really strike my interest until I started really getting into the research. And now I've, I've got to go to this, you want to see it. this yeah. museum. Yeah. The whole 
well, well, the whole Drake well, there's a famous picture that if you look up the, the Drake well, like you'll get this one image and that has been completely recreated there, board for board, based on these images. And amongst all the many side stories that I've gone down, I saw this photographer's name, John Mathers, connected with this picture, as well as some other oil pictures. Being a photographer, Who's this I want to know about John Mathers. My predecessor. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I started looking into, into information about him. Um, and he, he was really the oil photographer yeah. at the time. How about that? So this is 1859, and there's not that many f- photographers, but especially this, this specific niche market of just photographing the oil industry and history. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's credited for thousands and thousands of photos during this time. A lot of them were lost in fires and floods, some caused by oil. <laughs> and uh, Am I reading his cause of death right? So his obituary has a, a little bit of a sad ending here. He's, he's got a, a sad, sad tale. He, so he died of a cerebral hemorrhage um, from complications of suppression of urine. So I'm imagining this poor guy out here who's trying to get these pictures, just holding it. And he needs to go to the bathroom. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know if there's more to it than that, but it sounds wow. like, yeah, it's he just needs to go to the bathroom story. real bad. But this process of taking all the pictures. I know it feels bad. I didn't know it could kill you. Really hard. Dang. Wow. Okay. Um, so everyone take a pee break. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> don't hold it in too long. It's on his death certificate. So. All right. So we're nearing okay. the end here, Denny. We uh, Bissell, Drake, they found oil. They produce yep. some, wells yep. start popping up everywhere, and yep. oil production goes through the roof in the next few years, 1860s, right? Yep, yep. The boom and bust be- cycle begins for mm. oil. Um, it's huge that the first couple of years, um, even today as we're used to the term secondary recovery, though, uh, it started right away. So Injecting stuff? The, or? Well, so there was a f- couple different ways. Um, but what was happening was the paraffin wax that was coming up was slowing down the well productions. So right away already in 1859 and 1860, this was happening and all these wells that had been just erected and that were working are now slowing down. And so they were trying to come up with ways to increase their production. And so I quite love the story of how they decided to, to go about this. So Colonel Roberts patented nitroglycerin shooting using torpedoes. So he was a... I remember the story because I came across it once in a book. Yeah. Keep going. Well, so he used nitroglycerin and this, these techniques that he was familiar with in the war as far as torpedoes in the water and the way that their blast would shoot up after it hit the water. And so he would fill a nitro torpedo and send it down the well and put a blasting cap on it. And then they would send down this heavy metal piece called a go devil it's kind of pointed on the end a go devil go devil and so as they dropped this down it was supposed to be that you were supposed to run like the devil because if you were around it you didn't want to be blown up (laughs) so they dropped the go devil on the nitroglycerin blast cap and it would hit the blasting cap pressure would be forced down by the water that was in the capsule the water in the nitroglycerin be forced down and then shot up out the well and it would incinerate the wax and crack the well again, and production would keep going. Essentially, the wow. first frack. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. But just like. a little bit more 
DIY. I don't know. DIY fracking. Crude, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pri- a bit more dangerous. Yeah. Primitive. Wow. primitive. I'm, I'm sure they were able to do that because it sounds like the wells were so shallow. You know, 69-foot well, I mean, that's not that. Mm-hmm. You could see the bottom. Right. Yeah, you could see the bottom. <laughs> but that would keep the wells running, and then the more wells that were running and the more that they were producing, um, the less need there was for it. Pricing went down. And then more people were able to get it because the pricing went down. So then more people wanted it. So then it goes back up again. Super volatile. Supply and it just starts from day one, though. Like yep. it didn't take very long for it to bust. No, no, not at all. Two, yeah. three years. Very cool. Well, thanks for for uh, sharing all that, Denny. Yeah. Did yeah, we, we capture most of it? Probably so. So okay. there's pr- the video ends with Rockefeller starting yeah. the Standard Oil Company. Yeah. That alone has so much more story. Yeah, that was Even, a, big, a big cliffhanger. When I watched the video, it kind of ended abruptly, and I was like, let's oh, get into it. Yeah. yeah, we'll definitely make I a part two. I think there'll be a part two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's plenty to explore there. As far as I got with Rockefeller, I was finding some different pictures of him for the video, and I kept finding these older ones that didn't look like anything that I had seen from Rockefeller. He had this mustache and sideburns and everything. The mustache was still there, but apparently after he founded the company, he shaved off the sideburns. And he has this very signature mustache that is the John D. Rockefeller mustache that that he's known for today. But you have to have a signature look. If you're gonna be the world's richest yeah. millionaire, even right even during this whole time, yeah. Get a signature look. Top. Good mustache. So for the video for this one, we're gonna do mustaches and top hats and I've got them both in the video. So you can see them transition. No, I mean us. We gotta grow one out. Oh yeah. 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 Whoever does the next part two video yeah. will have to grow out a mustache. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's plenty more to talk about. All right. Well, we'll for sure link to this video and any other of the resources that we mentioned in this episode's show notes. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next time on Stuff You Should Know About Oil and Gas Production.